Greetings again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of OSI Today, the podcast featuring news and views from around the Office of Special Investigations. I'm Wayne Amon from OSI Public Affairs. As the sole federal law enforcement agency that employs a military and civilian workforce to execute both law enforcement and counterintelligence authorities and skill sets, the OSI recruiting effort to hire enlisted officers and civilians to join its special agent ranks is an ongoing priority. All three special agent categories have their own particular recruiting initiatives. And joining me to discuss those initiatives are three members of the OSI recruiting team, Mr. Steve Carmichael, Special Agent Jennifer Holland, and Special Agent Ryan Hanna. Folks, welcome to the program. It's great to have you all with us today. Thanks, Wayne. It's great to be here. Thank you, sir. Uh, Special Agent Hanna, let's begin with you, shall we? Now, as a former uh, enlisted airman myself, uh, I, uh, you know, had a cross-trend in my career, uh, and uh, your, your first question deals with this then. Um, as a, uh, f- a former OSI airman, uh, and now for airmen who are active duty, uh, what are the eligibility requirements for retraining into OSI from their current Air Force specialty? Uh, great question, Mr. Main. Uh, and I'd just like to start off by just saying it's an absolute honor and privilege to be here today no problem. Um, on this podcast and uh, more specifically to lead the effort recruiting some of our most talented airmen into the Air Force Officer Special Investigations. Sure As you can. mentioned, you were um, a previous uh, airman in another career field within the Air Force and then retraining OSI. And I think that's what you're going to find um, a lot from our applicants. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, but to answer your question about some of the eligibility requirements, just to name a few, um, ours include um, being a minimum age of 21 years old, possessing a valid U.S. driver's license. They must be a U.S. citizen by birth or naturalization uh-huh. and just be willing to serve as an agent in any capacity within the Office of Special Investigations. I see. So, so, flexib- um, so flexibility is important for uh, any newcomers, then, I would guess. Absolutely. Yeah. And a, and a lot of folks, as I travel around the Air Force and talk to people about these requirements, um, the first question that comes up or conversation is, hey, I want to go be a protective services operations agent, you know, protecting <laughs> somebody like the sector of the Air Force right, or somebody bigger. Um, and I always uh, just tell everybody it's, it's great to have those goals and it's great to have that that vision. Um, but upon applying to OSI um, and coming into the commands, we may need you to kind of step outside of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and to uh, do things like criminal investigations or counterintelligence investigations or maybe right. even fraud. Sure. So it's really important to be flexible with that. Gotcha. And I'd uh, also like to just uh, point out a few things, uh, sir, if you don't mind. Sure, um, sure. Yeah, the, floor, the floor is yours. <laughs> Our main primary focus on recruiting is uh, for active duty airmen is senior airmen through technical sergeants uh, with no more than 11 years time in service. And I think um, it's especially important to talk about because we often uh, get emails from um, individuals that are gra- about to graduate high school and they want to join the Air Force specifically as an OSI enlisted agent. Right. Um, so unfortunately, we don't accept a direct accessions into OSI p- upon joining the Air Force. Unless you're pursuing an avenue such as officer training school, the reserves officer training corps or the U.S. Air Force Academy. And I know Mr. Carmichael is going to talk about that uh, a little bit later in this podcast. Okay. Uh, But as an enlisted member, um, you just first need to join um, or upon joining the Air Force, you have to apply to another career field other than OSI. 
Then once you're eligible, you can reach out to our team up here at headquarters recruiting or your local OSI detachment to get to uh, get the process started. I see. Okay. Very good. Now, uh, uh, what is OSI's recruitment process like for enlisted airmen? So that one, um, I know it's, uh, it may sound like a lot, but it really isn't. Uh, it's rather simple. So the first step would be for each applicant to determine whether or not they're eligible to retrain within the Air Force. Um, and I always tell everybody you can do one of two things, right? You can go to your local career assistance advisor. They're located at most bases around the Air Force. Mm-hmm. Um, they're an excellent um, avenue to ask questions about things like your first term airman retraining window. Right. Or if you're a career airman, whether or not there's any retraining restrictions uh, that you might be facing. Um, and then there's also another um, Air Force manual, 36-2100, which kind of outlines the enlisted recruiting um uh, enlisted recruiting requirements essentially for the big air force, not specifically right. to OSI, but it kind of gives you a guide to whether or not you're eligible to apply for retraining into right. different career fields. Okay. Um, once uh, you do that, it's uh, rather simple. Um, they'll just reach out to our team, as I mentioned before, and our email at org box is afosi.enlisted.recruiting at us.af.mil. Mm-hmm. And our team will send a link, um, which gives them direct access to our listed agent applicant portal, where each candidate will fill out an initial questionnaire. Um, and some of those uh, questions that we ask during that questionnaire, things like, how long have you been on your current duty station? When did you join the Air Force? And really what we're doing is reviewing that questionnaire to ensure that that applicant and each applicant is, in fact, eligible to retrain. Our team is extremely um, knowledgeable when it comes to the Air Force manuals and Air Force instructions uh-huh. that govern retraining um, and some of those requirements. So we're kind of scanning those those questionnaires, if you will, to, to make sure right. that they're good to go. I see. Um, so it's important for each airman and applicant to fill out the ent- uh, an entire questionnaire completely and accurately. So that way we can determine whether or not to move on forward in the process. I see. Okay. Uh, once, once they're determined eligible... Uh, we'll ask them to complete and upload several required documents um, into our portal directly. It's an amazing asset for us uh, in the recruiting world up here at headquarters. Um, gives us a, a direct link to the applicants. Um, we don't have to worry about emails. Um, it's just simply clicking and dragging those documents into the portal. So that way our team can see them and then the individual that's uploading them. So technology. Um, so what we'll do so from there I was, was going to say, Agent Hannah, that uh, so technology has been a real boon to uh, uh, you folks in recruiting. Absolutely, sir. Yeah, and you know this thing kind of came just as a background came online um, with a, a vision and a dream from my predecessor actually up here at headquarters um, back in around 2016, um, and it's just been amazing ever since. And it gives that direct line between us. Um, the individual applying, you know, and some other offices that have a hand um, uh, hand in the recruitment process specifically to OSI. So it's been a really great asset. I see. Um, so kind of going back, um, once the member uploads those provided documents or those required documents and we review them, we're looking for one of two things, right? We're going to further determine, uh, determine eligibility uh, for retraining. And then we're going to start to look into suitability, right? Are there any suitability concerns such as finances, um, past, uh, uh, you know, trouble that they've been in uh, sure. is a good example. Sure. Right. Um, and they're going to fill out questionnaires. We're going to look at EPRs, fitness assessments, you know, a bunch of other different things. Right. Uh, once we look at those, and if there's nothing we need to address directly with the applicants, 
we're going to go directly to the functional manager for each AFSC uh, for the person that's uh, applying, right? Mm -hmm. And we're going to ask for what we call a conditional release. That simply means we're asking that functional manager who's going to in turn work with the career flow manager and talk about manning levels. And if they're able to allow that person to leave to pursue retraining with us, they're going to let us know. Right. Um, so that way we can push them through the final steps of the process. I see. Um, and that essentially includes working with uh, AFPC to make sure that um, they're coded in such a way that they won't get an, an assignment. And again, and again, and excuse me. Right. Uh, uh, Agent Hannah, once again, uh, AFPC for our novice listeners uh, to OSI okay. is the Air Force Personnel Center. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. No problem. <laughs> I know sometimes in the Air Force we get into these. Uh, we have our own lingo. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, sir. Absolutely. Uh, so we're going to put a, a kind of code in there to where they're not going to receive an assignment uh, while they go undergo the rest of our uh, recruitment and suitability process. Uh-huh. Um, once that happens, we're going to contact a local OSI detachment and we're going to say, here you are. Here's you know, airmen so-and-so um, or sergeant so-and-so, and um, they're going to call that applicant to bring them into the local OSI detachment at their base, mm-hmm. and they're going to um, conduct an initial suitability determination. And that includes things like an interview, a formal interview, and some of the other assessments, right? Maybe a writing sample, um, just uh-huh. a biography, uh, you name it. So that, right. they're going to take care of you and give you instructions. Right. Um, if that is favorable, and the local OSI det- uh, detachment wants to pursue that applicant's um, process further, they're going to notify our team and we're going to allow them to pursue a full suitability investigation. I see. Um, once that is done, um, the applicant is going to have one final interview um, and the local OSI detachment right. typically with the local OSI detachment commander right or special agent in charge and they're okay. going to make for osi duty uh, once that happens um they will let our team know uh, here at headquarters osi recruiting and we're going to schedule that applicant for the next available class at the federal law enforcement training center which is located in glencoe georgia right now now uh i think you were cutting out here just for a second um but let me uh, uh tie it into the next question, if I can, uh, Agent Hannah. Uh, you mentioned that uh, a lot of different duties uh, uh, can be performed by, uh, uh, you know, enlisted special agents. Uh, what kind of qualifications do enlisted airmen need uh, to have for OSI duty? That's a great question, sir. Um, and a lot of those qualifications um, are, are actually very minimal in nature. And that's some of the things uh, when I initially talked about um, uh, the requirement to upload certain documents. Mm-hmm. And when our team starts to look at the suitability and eligibility requirements further for retraining and more right. specific in the OSI at that point, um, the kind of things we look for are the qualifications uh, to be exact are having a minimum general score of 44 um, on the ASVAP, right? So the vocational aptitude test. Right. And a lot of folks that are may not be in the uh, Air Force yet, typically that test is done um, sometime in high school, right? Typically okay. junior senior year. It's been a long, long time for me. Sure. But I remember sure. uh, kind of looking back <laughs> at my high school years. Yeah. When I did. <laughs> me too. You're right. <laughs> not, that, not to age myself, right, sir? Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're going to look for that general minimum score of 44 um, on the ASVAP. Um, and then in addition, we look at things like meeting the minimum medical standards for OSI duty. 
and having a passing physical fitness test on all the components of the fitness test. So that includes push-ups, sit-ups, and the run. So there's nothing additional um, fitness-wise that one has to possess or qualify for because um, I get that question a lot, you know, right. much like special warfare type uh, career fields within the Air Force. Uh, we don't have anything additional other than just being able to pass your fitness test for the Air Force standards. I see. Okay. Very, very good. Now, uh, uh, as far as uh, the formal training is concerned, you mentioned briefly uh, uh, going to um, uh, the uh, Air Force, uh, or I should say the OSI Academy at uh, uh, Glencoe, Georgia, at uh, FLETSI, as they say, the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. Uh, what formal training is required to become an enlisted special agent? Is that the, the, uh, the prerequisite is to, to go to the, uh, the academy? Absolutely, sir. And I, I kind of uh, mentioned earlier, once uh, an applicant or an airman is selected for OSI duty, our team up here at headquarters um, is going to schedule them for the next available training course at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. And I think the most unique part of that requirement to attend FLETSI, you know, FLETSI for short, right. um, is it's the same requirements for officer, enlisted, and even civilian candidates, which mm-hmm. I'm sure Mr. Carmichael and uh, Ms. Holland, Agent Holland, will also um, highlight when right. um, they talk about the civilian and officer uh, recruiting process. Mm-hmm. Um, so the initial course is called the Criminal Investigator Training Program, which is approximately 11 and a half weeks. Um, once they graduate from that course, they will immediately begin the basic special investigations course, right. which lasts approximately six weeks long. Mm-hmm. Um, in the initial course, uh, the Criminal Investigator Training Program, they learn how to become a federal criminal investigator versus right. During the basic uh, special investigations course, that's kind of when they transition to learning how to become an OSI agent for the Air Force in Air Force laws. I see. Okay. Very well put. Now, um, uh, what are some of the personal and professional benefits of retraining from one Air Force specialty code or AFSC, as uh, the folks within the Air Force uh, call it, into OSI? Uh, uh, I would imagine that that it would be uh, kind of a a unique transition for them going from uh, whatever other career field they were in to OSI. Absolutely, sir. And again, when I travel around, I often hear the reasons. I ask the question, why? Why are you here today? Uh, Why are you listening to this podcast? Right. Um, Everybody has their own specific reasons as to why they're pursuing the Office of Special Investigations or to become a federal agent or a criminal investigator. Uh, So some of the benefits I love to talk about when asked this question is, you know, are, are things like the advanced specialty skills training. Mm-hmm. Uh, we often send our agents back to the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center to gain more valuable skills, such as advanced crime scene training, advanced interviewing courses, advanced right. fraud courses, and many, many more. Right. Uh, we also send our we also send our agents to the Joint Counterintelligence Training Academy, which is located um, here in our neck of the woods in Quantico, Quantico Virginia, uh-huh. to gain those additional counterintelligence investigative skills. Right. Um, the most important thing is all of these courses are widely recognized in the civilian industry um, and absolutely beneficial after agents complete their active duty careers and want to pursue another agency outside of OSI. I, see. I can tell you um, and my teammates will probably tell you, too, a lot of them um, love to come back to OSI even after getting all the training, that advanced training, uh-huh. um, just because we are extremely flexible within OSI where we have a very wide mission set. Right. Um, and the most unique thing about us, again, is we complete that mission set with civilian officers and enlisted agents, which is right. really cool. 
Right. Um, some of the other things I like to talk about is language training. Um, we will send folks that uh, want to pursue a foreign language um, to the Defense Language Institute in California. Mm-hmm. Once they become proficient, they're able to bring those skills back to OSI for use in various um, locations across the world. Right. Um, one more benefit I love to talk about as far as personal um, is the autonomy of being an OSI agent. Um, this is as, typically at the front <laughs> of my conversation to those young, bright, smiling faces uh, sitting in front of me. Um, once we give the OSI badge and credentials to an airman, uh, we place special we place special trust in that person to carry out the mission right. without constant oversight by leadership. Right. Something mm-hmm. a lot of what people tell me uh, they're not used to. Right. They're used sure. to. I get the security. I like to poke fun of them. But the security forces folks that are saying, oh, my supervisor is always on me, you know, every waking moment of the day. You know, they're constantly telling me what to do, when to do it, so on and so forth. Right. Um, so that's been really refreshing personally, since I've been in OSI, we trust our agents, regardless of rank, to stay on track, to manage their own schedules properly, and to do what we recruited them to do, which is essentially to investigate. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. why we're so meticulous in our recruitment and vetting process for each one of these airmen. Uh, we want to make sure that they are the right fit for OSI and that we're recruiting the right people. Right. Well, it sounds like, uh, you know, when, in, as they say in one of the Air Force core values, uh, you're looking for people with uh, very, very strong integrity. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We are. Now, uh, uh, final question for you, uh, Agent Hannah. Uh, what are the myths or misconceptions about becoming a special agent, uh, if there are any? This is uh, this is also another fun topic I love talking about. <laughs> uh, one of the things I, uh, I often bring up uh, in my conversations when we do, uh, again, travel across the Air Force and do our recruitment road shows at different bases, um, I often ask airmen about the myths or misconceptions they've heard about, you know, things like why they can't join OSI. Right. Um, or why they can't apply to be an OSI agent. Uh, some right. of the ones I've heard um, include having zero past disciplinary issues, n- no prior service drug use, um, perfect credit with little to no debt, or simply needing to have prior law enforcement or intelligence experience. Uh-huh. Um, and I always uh, let people know that while some of those the reasons might be valid, right, uh, we would encourage everybody to do one of two things. Visit our website, our OSI website, osi.af.mil, right. um, and review our frequently asked questions. Okay. Located under the OSI Careers tab, you'll see one for enlisted officers and civilians. Right. Um, or you can always reach out to our recruitment team. And again, our email is afosi.enlisted.recruiting at us.af.mil. So that way we can give you guys the most accurate information and dispel those myths or misconceptions. Um, right. I think that's extremely important. Um, I hate to hear when people are given wrong information um, by somebody, you know, in their chain of command or somewhere else or maybe even just a fellow coworker, which prevents them from um, taking the chance to apply to OSI because right. they didn't have a foreign language or one of the other uh, myths that uh, I often hear. Right. Yes. The truth is uh, very important, especially when uh, somebody's making a, a life changing decision, like going from one uh, Air Force career to another. So uh, Airman Hannah, I mean, uh, Agent Hannah, pardon me. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, uh, shedding light on the uh, enlisted airman side of the uh, OSI recruiting equation. And right now we'd like to move to the officer ranks if we can. Uh, Mr. Carmichael, uh, 
your first question is, sir, uh, how is the recruitment process unique for officers? Uh, it must be, uh, you know, obviously uh, different because of the fact that uh, officers and enlisted uh, are, are handled uh, a little bit uh, differently. So uh, uh, what, what is the recruitment process uh, like uh, for your officers? Well, thank you, Wayne. Thanks for the opportunity to share this good news message. And as Agent Hannah talked about the enlisted side, the, the officer side is a little bit different. Right. Uh, uh, first of all, applicants must apply for OSI duty prior to earning their commission. Uh-huh. They can and they can and usually do come directly into OSI, unlike our enlisted airmen who are required to serve in a different career field first. Right, right. Now, the recruitment process varies depending on the commissioning program they're going through, uh, and I believe we'll I believe we'll talk about those uh, specific avenues in just a few minutes. But it's right. important to note that. However, they apply for OSI or, or coming in, it's very competitive regardless of the commissioning program. Mm-hmm. So one of the big differences is uh, our senior leaders in OSI are directly involved in selecting future officers for the command. I see. For, for example, for ROTC cadets and the Air Force Academy, OSI actually conducts a board and it's chaired by an OSI colonel who is usually a sitting region commander, which we consider to be a a wing commander equivalent out there in the Air Force. Right, right. Now, they consider many different factors that comprise what we uh, call the whole person concept. Uh-huh. And to give you some examples, in, in one recent board, the applicants selected had a really strong grade point average. They Many were science, technology, engineering, or math, or STEM, as we call it, majors. Right. You know, so, so technical majors. Right. They were proficient in at least one foreign language. And they often held leadership roles within their ROTC units. So, you know, we're looking for the cream of the crop. And that's right. that's what we draw. And that's what our, our board is looking for. I see. On the, on the, excuse me, at the Air Force Academy, it's a little different. Uh, we have a detachment there at the Air Force Academy. It's Detachment 439. And they actually manage the selection process for the Air Force Academy cadets. And they, uh-huh. they spread the word through the uh, academy uh, venues if you will to share the word but if if anyone's at the academy and interested in, in knowing more about becoming an osi agent they can contact the debt there at the academy and talk to an agent about the process there but it's all handled right there on the air force academy campus i see okay now uh, yeah it sounds like one-stop shopping for the uh, cadets there at the academy uh, now, uh, what are the accession uh, sources that OSI draws from uh, Mr. Carmichael to fortify its officer corps? Well, fortunately for us, we draw from all three of the major accession sources, and those include the Air Force ROTC program, the Air Force Academy, and, and Officer Training School, or OTS as we call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get the largest number of our officers from the ROTC, uh, and then the Academy, and then OTS in that order. Uh, up at the Pentagon, the Air Force A1, or the, the Manpower and Personnel Directorate, if you will, right. they determine the number of accessions or officers we get from each commissioning source on an annual basis. So they may tell us, you're going to get 15 ROTC cadets, six academy cadets, and, and two from officer training school. They determine those numbers, and then we mm-hmm. run the process accordingly. I see. It's, it's important to note, though, that in, in fiscal year 21, we had zero officers come from officer training school. Uh-huh. And we are not projected to receive any in fiscal year 22 either. Oh, and that makes it okay. difficult for prior enlisted applicants to become OSI officers. So that, that's I a see. challenge for us, as well as for the enlisted force. Right. Uh, 
th those are the three main session sources, but we okay. also receive officers uh, from the Air Force who were eliminated from their initial skills training. And usually that's long-term training like pilots or someone that might've had a medical issue that prevented them from uh, their other schooling. Sure. We'll get, we'll, we'll get an occasional officer from there as well. Uh -huh. And that process is managed at the Air Force Personnel Center uh, and our officer agent that's assigned there is very involved in that selection process. And uh, he keeps his finger on the pulse so that we make sure we get our shot, our right. opportunity, if you will, to, uh, to get some of those high quality officers as well. I see. Okay. Very good. Now, uh, what must an officer do to complete the application process? Is this, there is a specific process for officers, is there not? There are actually multiple processes when, yeah. again, as I alluded to earlier, depending on the commissioning source, but okay. I'll go through each of them. This one might be a little bit lengthy, but I'll try to be as brief as I can. Okay. For, uh, for the Air Force ROTC cadets, uh, they'll be provided instructions from the officer assignments team uh, at the Air Force Personnel Center through Air Force ROTC headquarters at Maxwell. And they'll uh, give them the instructions on how to complete their application. That's usually done in the summer before their senior year. Right. Uh, as the Air Force is going to decide uh, what Cadet Smith or Cadet Jones is going to do with their life for the first four or five years, uh, they can apply through, through that process and be, be considered uh, by the board I referred to earlier. Right. It's also very similar for the Air Force Academy. Again, that's managed by the OSI detachment at the Academy. Uh, but that's all handled right there on, on campus at the academy. And they are also considered uh, for OSI duty early in their senior year. So about okay. this time of year, probably each year right. uh, that board takes place. I see. Roti Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I, I was going to say, yes, I understand. Uh, it makes, makes sense uh, uh, that they do it at the beginning of that, uh, that final year. So things can be mapped out for them. Yes, sir. That way when they know, hopefully by, by the holidays, uh, where they're going to be going when they graduate in spring. If sure. They're, if they're a spring graduate. For OTS applicants, it's a little different because they apply through an Air Force recruiter. Uh, and, and so that process is a little bit different. The, the biggest piece of advice I can give to anyone interested in OTS or applying through OTS is they have to select OSI as their number one job on their preference sheet or dream sheet, as we call it. Yeah. Uh, and then the process goes from there. If they're selected for OTS and vectored for OSI duty, uh, they'll then work directly with the OSI detachment wherever they are, and they'll get through the suitability process there. And so, so those are the three main commissioning okay. sources. Yeah. But as I mentioned, there's other two other ways in. Uh, for our people that, were elim that are eliminated from their initial skills training, again, like pilot training, there's a, there's a board process for that. They should list also OSI as their number one selection for their, their jobs mm -hmm. on the dream sheet and follow right. the instructions provided by the servicing OSI de detachment at the base where they are. Okay. And, and then finally, and I think you're going to cover this or ask me to cover this more in a few minutes, but, but the last category is what we call crossflow cross flow applicants. Yep. And these are people that come from another career field. Right. Uh, and they're, I'll go into that process more in a minute, but they have to obtain release from their current assignment team at AFPC and their career field manager at the Pentagon, and then contact the officer assignments person for OSI at the Air Force Personnel Center. And again, we'll cover that more in just a minute, I believe. Yes, as a matter of fact, that's a perfect segue into the next question about uh, uh, how does the retraining or cross flow, as you mentioned, from another Air Force specialty work for the officer ranks? Okay. 
And, and as a career personnel guy, let me just throw out there, there's not a retraining program mm-hmm. per se uh, okay. for officers like there is for the enlisted. Enlisted airmen have a direct opportunity to apply for retraining. That's not the case with officers. I see. Uh, we do refer to it as a cross flow uh, where they come from one Air Force specialty to another. But, but there is a process for it. It's just not right. quite as formal. Uh, I'll, I'll walk through that real quickly. Sure. Uh, OSI does consider officers to come from other career fields on a case-by-case basis at any point during their first six years of commission time. Uh, but the officer has some work to do to make that happen. The first step is they have to obtain release from their current career field. And that's done through the Air Force Personnel Center uh, and ultimately up to their career field manager at the Pentagon. So that's the right. first step. The second step is that they then work, if they're released, they then work with the OSI assignments team at the Air Force Personnel Center and my office okay. to complete an initial suitability screening process uh, to determine if they're eligible or a good fit for OSI. And that's not the in-depth suitability investigation. That's, a, that's kind of an initial interview uh, skills assessment uh, interview, if you will, with, with right. the local detachment. Right. If those two steps go well and they make it through those, then the assignments team at the Air Force Personnel Center will forward a package for an exception of policy up to the Pentagon that manpower personnel folks, if you will, uh, for approval. And they're the final decision. They're, they're going to decide whether or not they can afford to let Captain Smith or Captain Jones cross flow from another career field into OSI. Uh-huh. And that's largely based on the manning numbers in the Air Force. You know, they're not going to let people go from a, a career field that's short of people into one that's uh, overmanned if you will so yeah yeah uh, it's not always something that any of us control it's based on the bigger picture for the air force sure makes uh, makes perfect sense uh i was going to mention now uh what qualifications must an officer have to be eligible for osi duty well wayne the basic qualifications are very much like the uh the basic eligibility requirements for the, the enlisted uh they don't have the asvab uh issue and they don't have the retraining window issue but but just some real quick basic qualifications are they should begin OSI duty no later than their sixth year of commission service. Okay. Uh, so, you know, you're kind of on the clock, if you will. Once you pass that six-year point, it becomes impractical for the officer and for the Air Force for, for that to happen. So in the first six years. Uh, the other thing I want to highlight is uh, that most competitive applicants have performed well in their career, be it academically or in, the, in their job, in the Air Force job. For example, I mentioned in the ROTC or in the, in the sessions, they, we typically draw people and select people that have high grade point average because that's a great performance indicator. Right. But we also look for people who have demonstrated superior leadership qualities, whether that be in their, in their commissioning source, you know, at, the, at ROTC or the academy, or even in a pr- previous uh, Air Force career field. You want people that have been solid performers, good, good performers. Uh, And then the the other thing, not a requirement, but very highly desired, is that OSI is always looking for people with foreign language capabilities and tech and cyber experience. Those are areas where we have a great need and it's constant because we're competing with civilian industry to keep people. And uh, we're always looking for officers with those skills. Again, not mandatory, but very highly desired. Right. Well, in these uh, in these uh, ever-changing times, Mr. Carmichael, it's obvious that uh, high-tech people are uh, certainly in demand. There's no doubt about that. Uh, my final question for you uh, in the uh, uh, officer uh, segment here, sir, is uh, what training requirements must an officer meet to become a special agent with OSI? 
Well, just like Agent Hannah covered, uh, they have to go to those two courses, the Criminal Investigative Training Program, which is the federal course at the uh-huh. Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. Uh, and it's interesting to note that that's the same course that about 90 other federal agencies send their people to. It's the same exact course NCIS goes to and, and many right. other federal agencies that have criminal investigators. So it's very valuable training. Right. After they finish that, then they go to the OSI course, which, as Agent Hannah said, is about six weeks long. And that's where they learn the OSI or the Air Force way of doing criminal investigations. Uh-huh. So uh, all of our folks, all of our new agents go to that same training. And that's an interesting dynamic because most Air Force tech schools don't have that. They usually uh-huh. have officer training and enlisted training. But if you, if you go down to FLETC, uh, where our folks train, you may have a table of three people. And in the middle is a staff sergeant. Right. On his or her left is a lieutenant, and on his or her right is a civilian. And that's pretty unusual in the Air Force training world. So It is, it's, yes. It's a, it's a unique opportunity, but it's also the way that our agents uh, perform work every day in a detachment. Yeah, and that, and it also showcases the uh, diversity and inclusion that uh, uh, that OSI uh, the OSI family has. Very well put, Mr. Carmichael. Uh, now I'd like to shift to the uh, civilian sector, if I may, uh, with uh, Miss uh, Jennifer Holland, Special Agent Holland. Uh, first off, uh, welcome aboard again, ma'am. Now, uh, since OSI hires new civilian agents from external sources, what are the different avenues that are employed to fill those vacancies? Sure. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here to talk about recruiting today. Yeah, great to have you aboard. Um, So, you know, OSI hires civilian agents from a number of different sources, and I'm going to kind of talk through a couple of them. Sure. um, sure. Just because, you know, we get so many questions. There's there's different avenues and there's, uh, you know, it it gets confusing for a lot of people because we also have the active duty side. Um, so from external source, you know, we hire people from external sources when we have vacancies to fill. And so we post that vacancy, um, for everyone to see, um, on USA jobs and on our OSI external website. Right. Um, so the different kinds of vacancies that we'll post, the first one you'll see is our intern program. So it's called the premier college intern program. It's PSIP for short. Um, so we team up with the Air Force Personnel Center to offer a 10 to 12 week internship to about five or six applicants a year. Um, These are full-time paid internships at the GS-5 level Mm -hmm. um, during that summer between your junior and senior year. So people need to apply um, at the beginning of their junior year. That vacancy announcement is open now and it closes on 18 October. Mm -hmm. Um, And here's the real secret is that these positions are, it's it's the it's the gold mine of OSI. These can be non-competitively converted into uh-huh. permanent positions right. in the Palace Acquire program, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. Yeah. Um, and so, the position, if you get a PSIP position, you then are um, eligible to go into a PAC position. I see. Okay. So. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I didn't want to cut you off there, but uh, yeah, yeah it's, it seems like a, a very uh, flexible uh, type of program that you offer uh, those folks. Yeah, it's great. So the Palace Acquire program is the other program we use. And so OSI, again, teams up with the Air Force Personnel Center and we hire recent college grads into OSI. So it's an entry level program um, and we target recent college grads, but really anyone can apply. So we hire approximately 10 people um, from this program a year. It's very competitive. Um, and so OSI will take an applicant um, with no prior experience at all. 
And then we develop them into a special agent through formal training, mentorship, on-the-job training. And it takes about three years um, to go through this formal training program that we partnership with the Air Force Personnel Center on. I see. Um, so both those programs are centrally managed by the Air Force Personnel Center um, because all of the career fields use the same program to bring on entry-level employees. Mm-hmm. So the last yeah. area, the last, last avenue we have for um, bringing on entry level is developmentals. We call it our developmental program. Uh-huh. And so OSI runs this program. So sometimes we look through um, our vacancies to see what is appropriate for um, our entry level folks. And then we will hire people directly into OSI um, as entry level uh, agents. Uh, unfortunately, we just do this less regularly than we do the other programs. Um, so we'll see them less often. I see. Okay. Very, very interesting. Uh, what I'd like to do now is kind of switch back to uh, you, Mr. Carmichael, because you alluded to this next uh, question basically early on in uh, uh, the uh, podcast. Uh, and the question is this. One of the strengths of the OSI selection process is the fact that experienced agents pick agents themselves. So uh, how does that application selection process work when uh, recruiting civilians? Thank you, Wayne. I really appreciate the chance to explain this because I think this is one of the greatest strengths of our program, of of our processes, if you will. When civilians apply for uh, agent positions with with OSI, our HR specialists are the first people to see those applications. And what they do is basically assess the individual's paperwork, their resume, if you will, and the other documents they submit to see if they meet the basic qualifications. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those applicants who are qualified, uh, their resumes then move forward in the selection process. And that's when we form a, our first panel of experienced agents. These are agents like Agent Holland, who's been doing the job for a long, long time. Right. And they, right. they assess the resumes, every single one of them, to see what skills, experience, and training the applicant has. This is not one of those situations where we have a computer that does searches for keywords. We have people like Agent Holland and, and, and her peers that look at every single resume, they know what OSI values, and they're making the assessment if this person brings to the fight what we're looking for. Right. And while that panel is evaluating those resumes, we do have that HR team that's looking for more uh, objective things that are easier to evaluate, like educational level. You know, do they have a master's? Mm-hmm. Do they have mm-hmm. a PhD? Or do they have a bachelor's degree? Right. They're looking for education specialty. What was their academic major? Is it something we value in OSI? And then they're looking for other things like special certifications. Are they cyber qualified? Are they polygraph qualified? Those sorts of things. And then other, another factor they evaluate is uh, what the applicant says about their foreign language skills. Do, do they speak foreign languages at a proficiency level that we value enough to give extra credit for? So those are the things that, uh, that our HR specialists look at. When those two processes are finished, because they're going simultaneously, we then add those scores together to, to create a single score, and that's going to determine which applicants move forward to the interview. Uh, for those that are selected for an interview, they will. We, we then formulate or form yet another panel of experienced agents, again, like Agent Holland and some of her peers. Right. We will sit down with, with applicants, uh, sometimes in person, sometimes over uh, Zoom or, or other mechanisms like that. Uh, and ask a series of questions that are related to their experience. Uh, in addition to the interview, they also take a couple of tests that are administered by OSI's team of psychologists. Uh, so mm-hmm. 
Again, that's two situations where we have agents with vast experience assessing or evaluating uh, what an applicant brings to, uh, to OSI. I see. Uh, the, key, the key point here is we do have those experienced agents doing that. And I think this is important to note that uh, that's why that's so important. We believe it's the best, they have the best perspective to determine who should be OSI agents, not an HR professional like myself. Uh, who thinks I know what it means, but Miss <laughs> Holland and Agent Hannah, people like that, they can look at that resume, understand what those skills really mean, and then translate that into to practical uh, skills that we can use in OSI. Right, right. Very well said. Uh, yes, and I and I and I totally uh, understand that uh, having uh, you know special agents like uh, uh, Ms. Holland around and her peers, as you said, uh, to, to you can really uh, bank on their experience as special agents to uh, uh, really. Uh, make sure that the people that are brought in are the, are the cream of the crop, as you mentioned. Uh, I'd like to switch back to you now, uh, Agent Holland, uh, as we continue with our uh, civilian sector here. Uh, what are the particular education requirements that civilians must have to join OSI, or, or are there any? Sure, yeah. Um, so for entry-level positions, applicants uh, generally require a bachelor's degree with a minimum grade point average of 2.95. Um, so that's firm, a uh, firm requirement for the Palace Acquire program. Mm-hmm. Um, developmental applicants may qualify with specialized experience, um, but most applicants have a bachelor's degree or higher. Um, for our GS-13 positions, and I may have skipped this earlier, but we do hire on journeymen. So oh, okay. people with prior criminal investigative experience um, come, we can, we can hire on at the journeyman level. Um, mm-hmm. so they qualify based on their experience. Right. Um, so we do value education in our selection process. Um, and we reward people with yeah. bachelor's degree and higher. So for both entry level and GS 13 positions, we seek applicants, um, who have completed challenging degree programs. And I think Mr. Carmichael spoke to this a little bit. And then we look for hard to replicate skills, mm-hmm. you know, cybersecurity, engineering, yeah. advanced yeah. foreign language. Um, and so, you know, there's really a misperception out there. A lot of people think that they need to go and get their, their degree in criminal justice. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really not correct. You know, I we're really it. looking where we want to attract applicants that have a diverse background. Um, Because we want to bring that into OSI um, and we can better serve the mission of OSI with with that kind of talent um, working there. Very, very good. Uh, Now, uh, what are the specific training requirements that civilian recruits can expect upon joining OSI? I know we uh, alluded to various training requirements uh, for officers and uh, the enlisted side, but uh, are there any specific ones uh, that civilians can expect? Um, no, you're going to be disappointed, Wayne. No. So, 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 you know, Steve, Steve covered this earlier, but it's just such a fantastic thing in OSI. You know, we train together, um, you know, officers, enlisted and civilians, we all go through the exact same training. And so we're this, we're the same agent and we work that way in the field as well. Um, and so, um, sometimes if civilians are applying and they've already attended, um, some of the basic training courses at Fletzy, or an equivalent course, we won't make them attend again, of course. But if they come from another agency or haven't attended an OSI course, they'll go through the OSI specific um, basic course. I see. Okay, very, very good. Now, uh, uh, and I know we alluded to this skill sets before as far as uh, jobs within OSI. Uh, What are some of the various specialty areas that civilians can pursue within the, uh, as they say, the 1811 or special agent career field? 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, Wayne, this is one of my favorite things about OSI. I'll tell you, um, we have such a broad mission that you can come into OSI and you can spend your entire career here doing something different every couple of years. Right. Um, we have so many different specialties. And I know you've talked about this on other podcasts and, and things, but you know, there's nothing that civilian agents can't do. Um, so once you come into OSI, you know, we have your, you can go into a specialty. Um, you can look into forensics mm-hmm. and we have polygraph, we have cyber forensics, cyber pursuit, we have fraud, we have violent crimes, counterintelligence, counter espionage. Um, I mean, I mean, you can keep going on and on. We have the protective right. service mission. Um, we, we have such amazing missions all over the world. And you could decide one day, you know, I want to join OSI because I love, you know, I love the, the fraud mission. Right. And then something happens right along the way and you're halfway through your career and you're like, you know what? I really, my heart is with protecting children and you right. can go and in OSI, you can move to a different position, and then there you can inv- you can do undercover ops with a you know catch a predator, internet crimes, and right. you can you know protect the vulnerable children. So sure. it is just such an amazing thing. We have so many amazing specialties. Oh no doubt, and and I know there's a, there's a litany more. <laughs> you know I've I've seen the list. It's it is pretty amazing. Uh, Ms. Holland, uh, how are civilians matched to positions and locations uh, in their assignment process? Is it very involved? Yes. Oh, yes. And so we get this question a lot because I I think, uh, you know, people think we're just throwing things at a dartboard, right? Absolutely not. Um, (laughs) We are very, we are very deliberate when matching new hires to their first OSI civilian position. So we consider their preferences. So they they actually tell us what they want, geographic preferences, where they want to live, what kind of job they want to do. Um, and then we match that up with the needs of OSI. So ultimately, mm-hmm. right, we're trying to match what OSI is available to what they want to do. And we try right. to make the best match. Right. Our office consults with the civilian agent assignment manager and the career field manager. And we just try to figure out what is the best fit for our organization and that individual. Um, and then we'll make that recommendation to our executive director who then approves that assignment. I see. Okay, very good. Now, uh, for civilians who may be listening to this podcast who are not familiar with the military, uh, when joining OSI as a civilian, they do so as a member of the civil service or a federal employee, if you will. How does that benefit a new civilian agent? Yeah, sure. I've been waiting for this question because it's such a (laughs) good question. Um, So I think you'll hear different people answer this question with, you know, with different things, right? They're going to say, oh, my goodness, the benefits and you'll make this much money and here's the retirement package. And you know what, when I think when I was first coming into OSI, my eyes could have probably like rolled back on my head. If I heard retirement package, you know, all of that is great. And yes, all of that is true. You know, civil service is a a wonderful place, you know, for all of those benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is Jen Holland's opinion and this, and this is how I feel. I came into OSI right out of college. I was never in the military. Um, this is your chance to be part of something bigger, right? To make a small mark on history, just impact others' lives and defend the nation against our enemies. So you're going to do things that only government and military people can do, right? right? Just an example. So we have this fantastic tech protect technology protection role, and you have a front row seat to history making game changing military technology. So we know our enemies are trying to steal it. It's our job to keep it safe. Sure. Right. Sure, you know, sure. so you can't do that anywhere else. This is the only place. Yeah. Um, and so it's just 
there's so many things that we're doing that only you can do if you're working for the government. And, you know, save that money-making Amazon job for, you know, 20 years down the road, right? <laughs> this is the chance, like, you, you know, yeah. come in and do something great and be a part of history. Um, I never imagined, you know, my life, you know, I had a front row seat right after 9-11 um, mm-hmm. with the detainees down in Guantanamo. Um, yeah. I was an interrogator down there. You know, I built cases um, for the government. Um, and so I, I just never, you can't find these kinds of experiences elsewhere. Sure. sure. Um, and so that, that's why I think, um, I think people should join. So OSI okay. is a great place to be. Okay, great, great recruiting pitch by a recruiter. That's outstanding. Uh, my final specific question for you, uh, Agent Holland, is what is the mobility agreement? We've heard so much about that. And how does it factor in uh, to the recruitment of civilians? Sure, yeah. Um, all civilian agents are required to sign a mobility agreement. Um, and so this is a condition of employment. It just means that you as an applicant are willing to accept assignments anywhere in the United States um, or overseas. Um, locations. Applicants um, should understand that, you know, your, your initial assignment um, and throughout your career, we may assign you to different locations worldwide based mm-hmm. on the needs of the organization. So we might have a job for you um, at another location, um, but I don't want this to sound ominous um, because it's actually a great opportunity. Right. You know, OSI is a worldwide organization. Um, yes, it and, is. And yeah. We have jobs all over. We have them at embassy in Egypt and London and Japan. Um, and so it's just a fantastic opportunity to see the world and be a part of a bigger mission. Yeah. Um, and so it's actually a good thing um, in OSI uh, for these mobility agreements. Yeah, very, very good. Yeah, if, uh, if, if you enjoy traveling, OSI is uh, definitely uh, one of the uh, uh, must-join organizations, if you will. Uh, finally, uh, is there anything else that any of you would like to add? I know I think uh, Ms. Holland and uh, uh, Agent Hannah, you have a couple of things you wanted to uh, leave us with. Yeah, I'll go first and I'll okay. pass it to um Agent Hannah. So just last thoughts from me. So I've been an agent for over 19 years now. Um, and I just can't think of another place I'd rather be. I, I already talked to the breadth of the mission. I, I love how many things you can do um, within one organization. Um, you know, you don't get tired, right? There's just, there's something different to do every day. Right. Um, and then, I, and you know, you kind of justify yourself like, why am I going to work every day? I know why I'm going to work. I, right. I know that I'm making a difference in someone else's life, making right. it a little bit better and keeping them a little safer um, and looking out for the people that are defenseless. So it's rewarding for me. Um, and, and I love the people I work with. So there you go. A nice, a nice package right there. Uh, Agent Hannah, how about you? Uh, what would you like to leave us with? Hello, Agent Hannah, are you there? Well, we may have we may have lost Agent Hannah, but uh, uh, I know he had uh, uh, probably echoing the same sentiments that you did, uh, uh, Agent Holland. Uh, uh, and uh, we want to thank you all for, for being with us. Uh, my guests have been OSI recruiting team members, Mr. Steve Carmichael, Special Agent Jennifer Holland and Special Agent Ryan Hannah. Folks, thank you all for taking the time to be with us. Uh, it was great to talk to you today. Thanks, Wayne. Thank you, Wayne. We appreciate you giving us the opportunity to share the great news about OSI. Yes, sir. And thanks to all of you listening for tuning in. For OSI Today, I'm Wayne Amon saying so long for now.